This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. Hey, what's going on? I'm Rob Fay. Welcome to your Wednesday edition of Sports Bar Radio. It is the fourth day of August. I hope this podcast finds you well as we work our way through the shortened work week getting ready for the weekend. Now, a lot of things are going to happen on this weekend. Heck, a lot of things are going to be happening later on today at the Olympic Games. We're going to get into the Olympiad over in Tokyo. We're also going to talk about things on this side of the pond, Major League Baseball. The NFL's got some news that is breaking. The NBA's got more signings. But I want to get you to that one story. You know what I'm talking about, that one story that rises above all else. We here in the sports bar call that story the lead. We've scoured the globe for the stories that matter to you. Okay, well, let's be honest, Rob picks most of the stories, so maybe they matter more to him? Anyways, pull up a chair and let our bartender pour you a cold one because there's a lot going on in your world today. It has been a year and a half since the Canadian Football League last had a game on the gridiron. It just happened to be the 2019 Grey Cup or the Winnipeg Blue Bombers got past the Hamilton Tiger Cats 33-12. That was November 24th, 2019. Tomorrow, the Canadian Football League is back. A 14-game regular season, not your standard 18 games. They've reduced it somewhat, but the Bombers will finally get a chance to unfurl that championship banner. We will get football of the Canadian style without the XFL, without many changes, but we will at least have football back north of the border. Now, the Canadian Football League needs this to happen. There were reports saying that the league lost between 60 and $80 million just last year by not having games. The Canadian government didn't offer them the bailout. They didn't get that money to get them through the tough times. So this particular season is where the owners of the Canadian Football League can try to finally get out of the red of what the last year and a half has surely put them in. Even the diehard markets like Winnipeg and Saskatchewan, they had to crowdsource. They had to try to do anything they could to keep their heads above water. Markets like Montreal, Toronto, and BC, well, it still remains to be seen what their future is. During the COVID stretch, the BC Lions lost their owner, the legendary David Braley. So they have a number of questions moving forward as to how they are going to go on with at some point a new ownership group and a new direction and a new vision. But let's take a look back at the 18 months of no football north of the border. Think of all the things that have gone on since the Grey Cup took place in Calgary just shy of two years ago. The rumblings that The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, and the XFL were going to merge with the Canadian Football League. And that might be not the worst case scenario because the Canadian Football League was so lethargic, so static, and really struggling fiscally. It never came to be. And even though the diehard said that that was good, that we were able to maintain our heritage and we didn't have to share the rock with anybody else, no pun intended, the bottom line is the Canadian Football League still has those questions. They have many questions moving forward. And even though they are going to have these games this year and they're going to be able to bring fans back in in certain markets more so than others, you're going to see which organizations are creative and if the Canadian Football League was truly able during this hiatus to get their ducks in order and get this league moving in the right direction. Listen, if Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner of the Canadian Football League, with this 18 months to truly step back and recalibrate doesn't 
help this league go into the right direction, he's out. And yes, there are questions in Toronto, and Montreal's got new ownership, and the BC Lions are spinning their tires wondering who they're going to bring in as their next owner. But it doesn't matter because they have to get this thing right this time. There's no more get-out-of-jail-free cards for the Canadian Football League. They've had the opportunity to use COVID as their blanket to try and step back and get this organized. And if they did, listen, I'm not trying to be a hard-ass on the Canadian Football League. I am just as happy as anybody else to see these games being played because it means players are getting paid. It means staff members have a job. It means that the Canadian Football League is still in business when some were wondering if they were going to be able to keep this thing moving forward. But that said... I think you have to keep the executive accountable here as to, okay, you're back on the field now. And yes, there's only 14 games instead of 18. And yes, there's going to be a number of different restrictions that they've had to put in to establish their guidelines. But make no mistake, the Canadian Football League was on life support before COVID hit. This now is the coming to Jesus moment for the CFL. Can they get right? Will the fans respond in kind? Like, again, you got to remember one of the big knocks on the Canadian Football League was that it was old, that it was for the blue hairs, that this younger generation wasn't interested in what the CFL was offering. Will this 18 months off bring the nostalgia back? Will they be able to sell this game to a younger generation? Because don't get me wrong, the 50-somethings, they're all in. They'll be at those stadiums. They'll be at BC Place. They'll be across the CFL doing everything they can to support their home side. But will the Canadian Football League have used this 18 months to make the adjustments needed to make their broadcast better, to make sure that the in-game experience will be better, to make sure that they can market this game better? Hey, I am excited, I am thrilled, I am pumped that the Canadian Football League is back. But don't get me wrong, as much as I'm excited, I am just as curious to see what Randy Ambrosi and the Canadian Football League were able to accomplish during this long layoff. Any way you look at it, Football is back tomorrow. Winnipeg, Hamilton, they will get it down. Saskatchewan to BC Friday night. And then from there, we work our way to the 14-game season that hopefully sees the BC Lions do better than what they did a year ago. Mike Riley is back behind center. They've got a lot of pieces in place that are new, new coaches, new philosophies, new everything. But more than anything, I'm just happy they're back. All right, let's get to the rest of the news of the day. There's more than just the Canadian Football League. We've got baseball, basketball, football, hockey. We're going to talk a little UFC. And, of course, we're going to dip our toes into the Tokyo 2020 game. Let me get you to that one part of the sports bar where we house all that information. Let me get you to the VIP room. You knew tonight was going to be a good night, didn't you? Guys, the ladies don't want you wasting their time. So get to the point. Ten topics, ten minutes. Hold on to your drinks because we're about to bring you the entire world of sports before the DJ can pull out the vinyl for his next set. Welcome to the VIP room. All right, before we get to all the league stuff over here in North America, very quickly, let us dip our toe over in Tokyo 2020, where Canada's Andre de Grasse has raced to a gold medal in the men's 200 meters, scooting to the finish line in a Canadian record time of 19.62 seconds. Kenneth Bednarek took silver at 19.86 seconds and fellow American Noah Lyles earning bronze in 19.74 seconds. So here's what I want to get to before we celebrate the gold and everything. DeGrasse finishes at 19.62.12 seconds later, the third guy crosses the finish line. Three guys separated by .12. I used to play this game with my stopwatch, or sometimes I had a stopwatch on my Google watch, 
and I would try to see how fast I could go click click. And I would go click click to see if I could get to, you know, point one or point two or point three. To imagine the difference between gold and bronze being 0.12 seconds apart is incredible to me, but he does it. Andre de Grasse now adds a gold medal to his pretty impressive collection at just 26 years old. You may not remember this, but he does have a silver and two bronze from the 2016 games in Rio. He's raced to a silver and three bronze at the 2015 and 2019 World Championships as well. But yeah, there's a lot of bronze and silver clanking around in his bag. Gold is the one that he's always wanted, and now he has it. Aaron Brown of Toronto finishing sixth with the time of 2020. He was racing in his first Olympic final, but here's something pretty cool. Canada had two men in the 200-meter final for the first time since 1928. And by the way, DeGrasse's victory comes 25 years at a couple of days after Donovan Bailey raced to the 100-meter gold at the 1996 Atlanta Olympic Games. Now, a lot of us are focused on the Canadian women's national soccer team as they get ready for their gold medal match against Sweden. Canadian and Swedish team officials went to the Olympic organizers and asked them to push back the scheduled late morning kickoff time for that final because of the heat that is expected on Friday. This was something that some critics of the Tokyo 2020 games made mention of before the games even started, that having the games pushed back to this time in the calendar was going to cause problems in certain events that are outdoor. The forecast for Friday, 34, with a humidity expecting to make it feel like it's 41 or 42. This is what the ladies are going to be dealing with as they fight for the gold medal. Both teams were saying if they had to play at 11 o'clock in the morning, they were prepared, but it would be much better for the performance of the game to have this game later on. And this is something that both Sweden and Canada had the same opinion on. I mean, 42, 43? and you've got players going 90 minutes trying to win a gold medal, I hope that the Olympic organizers in Tokyo can make that adjustment. They should be able to, just so that we can see the best game possible. All right, to the hardwood. A couple of days ago, the Chicago Bulls went out and got themselves Lonzo Ball from the New Orleans Pelicans. A very familiar name, if you're a Toronto Raptors fan, is also joining the black and red. It is a three-year, $85 million deal for DeMar DeRozan. It's a deal that comes with a signage trade sending Al Farouk Amino and Thaddeus Young to the San Antonio Spurs. DeRozan with a perimeter shooting, likely to come off the bench, but the Chicago Bulls in the East are making big moves this season, bringing in some pretty good names. I mentioned this yesterday, but it is official now. Trey Young of the Atlanta Hawks getting his five-year, $207 million max rookie extension. He is now the cornerstone of one of the Cinderella stories from this year's playoffs. And Victor Oladipo has agreed to a deal with the Miami Heat where he will meet up with Kyle Lowry. Well, speaking of Kyle Lowry, it is a very big move for the Toronto Raptors. A couple of his former teammates, Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet, penning emotional farewells to their former teammate. Van Vliet calling him the GROAT, the greatest Raptor of all time, saying, quote, Thank you for everything, bro. You already know what it is. There was a very special relationship there because Van Vliet, who went undrafted in 2016, ended up turning into a starter under Lowry's mentorship. And the same could be said for Siakam, who came into the league in 2016 as the 27th pick in the NBA draft. Siakam saying, appreciate you taking us and showing us the way. Thank you for all the lessons on and off the court. You are a true legend. If you haven't heard, if you've been under a rock, Kyle Lowry is now a member of the Miami Heat. 
Well, to the ice and one player that has been put on ice, Evander Kane, the Hockey Diversity Alliance, announcing yesterday that the San Jose Shark forward is on a voluntary leave as the NHL investigates allegations made against him that he bet on NHL games, including against his own team. This coming from the HDA. The Hockey Diversity Alliance is aware of the allegations against our colleague and friend Evander Kane and find them troubling. We take these accusations very seriously and we are committed to learning the truth. We fully believe in due process and fully respect the privacy of Mr. Kane and his family. In the meantime, Mr. Kane is on a voluntary leave as an HDA board member as to not distract from our mission to eradicate systematic racism and intolerance in hockey. On Sunday, Kane said very vocally that he denied the allegations from his wife, Anna, who made those accusations on social media from her Instagram account. I have a feeling this will get uh, a little more sticky before it gets to its resolution. Joe Thornton is debating whether or not he's going to come back for yet another season. 42-year-old free agent scored 20 points in 44 games with the Maple Leafs last season. He's skating right now with the team in Switzerland. HC Davos, one of the most recognizable teams from overseas, begins their season on September 11th. The NHL season begins on October the 12th. Uh, Thornton saying this came so sudden, I haven't even really had time to think about it. First and foremost, I have to be a dad for a little bit here. But yeah, I feel really, really healthy and really, really good. And that is a good sign. You would expect that if Thornton does come back to the NHL, it will be on a league minimum contract. The question is what team is willing to fit him in. Well, to the gridiron south of the border, the Colts are giving second-year quarterback Jacob Eason a closer look before making any big moves when it comes to Carson Wentz's foot injury. This coming from Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network. Pelissero saying, quote, this is the first extended look that they've gotten at him, and that's part of why you have not seen the Colts jumping out to trade for a quarterback despite all the speculation about Nick Foles and Gardner Minshew or whoever it might be, unquote. And speaking of quarterbacks, the New Orleans Saints have a quarterback competition on their hands. Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill locking horns this summer. Saints coach Sean Payton saying, quote, The bigger challenge really is what they both do isn't always the same. So having enough for each of those guys when in the game, and it's not just a vanilla system, I think is important. This is obviously Winston's job to lose. Taysom Hill is the guy that everybody wants to see because he can run it as well. That was the option that made the Saints so fun to watch. But I got to think that Jameis Winston is the right guy, despite the excitement that Taysom Hill brings to the conversation. To the diamond we go. And how about this? Toronto Blue Jays sending John Axford to the Brewers. And Axford suffers an elbow injury in his first Major League appearance since 2018. He retired just one of the five batters that he faced before leaving the game with an elbow problem. Manager Craig Council saying that Axford will undergo an MRI. Axford began the season as a studio analyst on the Blue Jays television broadcast crew. After pitching for Canada at the Olympic qualifier, Axford then signed a minor league contract with the Blue Jays, got his velocity up to 98, went 1-0 with a 0.84 ERA for the Blue Jays at AAA Buffalo, and then had the opportunity to pitch for the Brewers. One game, four batters, back on the shelf. It's heartbreaking to see. And the Los Angeles Dodgers have reportedly agreed to a one-year deal with veteran left-hander Cole Hamels. This one coming from a source at MLB.com. When official, the deal will be for $1 million, and Hamels will make an additional $200,000 for every start that he makes. The club has not confirmed the deal, but Hamels working out for scouts last month. Dodgers coming away pretty impressed enough that even after adding Max Serger and Danny Duffy at the trade deadline, they wanted more depth. And that might have to do with the uncertainty around Clayton Kershaw's recovery from that left forearm. 
Kershaw, by the way, scheduled to throw one more sim game over the weekend, but there's still a little soreness and the Dodgers are looking at options. All right, let's take our break here. When we come back, I'm going to take you into the time machine. I had a great interview the other day when it comes to sports psychology and the Olympic Games. I'm going to introduce you to one of the most fascinating doctors on the other side of the break. Charlene Orr will stop by the sports bar. I'm Rob Fay, and this is Sports Bar Radio presented to you as always by Equity Guru. We'll be back after this. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen. This segment is brought to you by The Gaming Stadium, Canada's pioneering leaders in online esports tournaments, specializing in tools for league operators, tournament streaming, venue management, and community building. TGS has become a global leader in esports events, sponsorship, and production. With regular online tourneys for Fortnite, Rainbow Six, Call of Duty, Rocket League, and more, visit www.thegamingstadium.com to sign up and play. For investor information, check out the ticker symbol TGS. Welcome back to Sports Bar Radio with host Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity.Guru. All right, welcome back to Sports Bar Radio. I am Rob Fay. This show, like all of them, brought to you by Equity Guru. You know, I do read all of the text, all of the emails, everything that you send me on social media, and I'm very thankful for both the good comments and the not-so-savory comments. I mean, it's all about making sure that we can adjust this program to something that you'll click on every single day. Again, we're here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I don't know too many podcasts that are out there five days a week, but we're always around here right at lunchtime. So if you drive it around or maybe you're even just going for a walk, trying to clear your head from the morning's efforts at work, whatever you're doing, just know that Sports Bar Radio is here for you. And we're talking about all things sports. I mean, we'll talk to musicians and we'll talk to specialists and we'll talk to everybody. Uh, we're going to try to get an auctioneer before the week is done. Yeah, one of those guys that talks a mile a minute and sells stuff at big gaudy prices. Yeah, we'll be doing that as well. But, um, you know, one of the things that we had the other day, it actually surprised me with the uptick of conversation that came as a result of one of the guests that I had on this show just a couple of days ago. Her name is Dr. Charlene Orr, and she's one of the most renowned specialists when it comes to mental health in Canada, and she specializes in athletics. And you got to think with everything that we've gone through with the pandemic, I mean, just think of you and me and all the challenges that we have faced in our day-to-day life when it comes to the pandemic and how we've had to adjust. Now, take that, put it on 10 as far as the volume goes and try to compete on the world stage it was one of those things that we saw early in the olympic games with simone biles of the u.s olympic gymnastics team when she stepped away uh, naomi osaka before at the australian open stepping away because she had some troubles with the media and just needed to take care of her mental health so i thought it was really cool that we would find a doctor who specialized in it so that maybe we could learn about this as well I didn't realize that this was going to hit with so many people and it opened up the conversation to mental health and uh, how we look at these games. Got to remember, Canadian Football League starts in just a matter of hours. What has that been like for those athletes over the last 18 months? We've got the Canadian women's soccer team just hours away from fighting for gold against Sweden. How have they been able to make those adjustments? So here's a conversation with a very renowned specialist in athletic mental health, Dr. Charlene Orr. And my first question to her was as simple as they come. I said, what made you fall in love with this particular field of work? That's a great question and thank you for asking that. I am so passionate about the field of sports psychology. It is something that I experienced myself as an athlete, um, getting support 
And at the time there was just, there wasn't a lot of people who were practicing sports psychology or able to reach out to young athletes and, and give them the tools that they need to shape their mind to maximize their performance. You know, so I felt like I struggled a lot. And when I got to university and I found out about this field called sports psychology, I was really attracted to it. What we do essentially is we try to understand human behavior from the perspective of what the brain can contribute. So we know that the brain talks to the body and the vehicle that we use in sports psychology is the mind. The mind, how does it come up with its thoughts, its emotions, feelings, and then ultimately impulses towards our behavior and how does that impact the way that we perform or act. And so we can come at it from a variety of different spaces and places. Uh, what's really popular in the media right now, of course, is mental health and a, a sense of well-being and how that impacts performance from other important topics like our motivation, how we manage stress. That's a big part of the Olympics right now, too, and the privilege of pressure. We talk about team, team dynamics, communication, leadership. We talk about relationships and learning we talk about what it means to compete and, and how we make sense of ourselves as athletes. Um, and, you know, there's a, also a big contribution when we finish Olympic Games, what happens next if we're ready to retire and go on to another phase of our life and uh, the transition of becoming, devoting so many years and so much energy and, and to our sport. And now, now we're not going to engage in that in the same way. That's the field of sports psychology. And as practitioners in Canada, we're referred to as mental performance consultants. When I was watching the Olympic Games the other night with my wife, we watched a 13-year-old girl from Japan win a gold medal. And I sat back and I looked at her and I said, you know, I wonder if she even realizes what she's just accomplished. Because at 13, I don't know if I would have. But with everything that's gone on with COVID, the preparation that these athletes have had to endure, some of them have been isolated because they haven't been able to train in their regular conveniences. I wonder if that naivete of being youthful and exuberant and not knowing necessarily what's going on around the world was actually a mental advantage for her. Some would say it definitely was, you know, sort of the more um, access we have to abstract thinking and the, the wondering what if and what could be um, that definitely comes with a more mature mind than a 13 year old would have access to, can become sources of distraction. Often it's the athlete who can manage their distractions the best that come up on top. And so if the brain isn't allowing us or the mind isn't allowing us to access some of those distractions, it probably is a competitive advantage. I've talked to a couple of different athletes, a couple of different Olympians previously to the Olympic Games, and they talked about the preparation that was two, three years. They were able to access people like yourself. This year, I, I can't even imagine what they've gone through from the mental perspective, because not only are they going to Japan, which is in a state of emergency because of the COVID-19 situation there, but their training has been all off. And if I know athletes well enough, they're all about structure. They know where they are at two o'clock, at four o'clock, at six o'clock. This year, it's kind of all been put in the washing machine. What have you heard when it comes to the challenges mentally some of these athletes have been facing? Everyone is facing this. It, it, the uncertainty is real. And we've learned a lot about how the uncertainty impacts the athletic mindset. You know, it ranges from, we know, unfortunately, that 
For those who have mental illness and mental problems, COVID has really exacerbated those mental health symptoms. And there's a lot of athletes who are really, really struggling with those symptoms because of the conditions of our environment. This adversity and this uncertainty has provided a real opportunity to work on our resilience skills and our ability to adapt and manage ourselves and self-regulate in the face of uncertainty and pressure. You know, we've had limited opportunities to compete for many of our sports. Um, just haven't had access to world-level competition, haven't had access to world-level training facilities, and we've had to learn to adapt, to face those adversities, and still manage ourselves to feel as prepared as possible going into these games. And so it's, it's been a real spectrum and a lot of work, a lot of work. And it just uh, really highlights for us just how important the mental game is because you can have a very well-tuned, fine physical machine in your body and your skill set. But if the mind is just not available to you, it can actually shut the whole thing down. She is Dr. Charlene Orr, mental performance consultant, joining me here on Sports Bar Radio. Doctor, let me ask you about just the, the phrase emotional management. That can be applied to any facet of life, but let's talk about it from an athletic standpoint in the fact that right now there are so many things pulling us in so many different directions. I can't even imagine, I played sports as a child, I didn't have social media to worry about. In addition to all of the things that are usually pulling at us mentally, now you add that into the equation, how do you manage your emotions as an athlete? Wow, that's a big question. Yes, <laughs> tackle whatever you can. Emotions are a big, are, are a big part of fueling our uh, behavior, of course. And so we really practice having a emotion, I guess an ideal emotional compass. So we know when we're pointing north. For some athletes that's, a ha you know, Kylie Mass just was quoted saying, uh, you know, a successful athlete is a happy athlete. And so in her mind, you know, we can assume that happiness is her compass and she wants her emotions to be managed so that she's facing towards happiness. Other athletes really thrive and love to feel those anxious feelings. Feeling anxious and nervous is where they want their compass to be because they know that there's a sense of readiness if they've got those jitters. Mm -hmm. So how do they do that? They do it through a variety of different techniques. One of the critical ones is, of course, viewing any potential threat to achieving the goals that they have, viewing them as rather than sources of threat for them, but sources of opportunity and challenge that, you know, whatever is being put in front of them, they can manage. That's really going to set that emotional space more aligned with what it is that they know they perform best under. The other really important piece of this is social support and the connection that they have with their coaches and the connection that they have with their teammates. Obviously, as family members, that's also an important piece. And you often see many of these athletes right now at the games really um, appreciating the video feeds that um, are coming in where they can say immediately after their event, hi, mom and dad, thanks for being there and believing in me. And, and that's an important piece of their emotional regulation as well. Doctor, obviously one of the hot topics at the Olympic Games was a U.S. gymnast by the name of Simone Biles, who is a legend in that field. 
who decided on the eve of one of the biggest performances of her team's life wasn't ready mentally to take part in that and she allowed the rest of her team to pick up the slack for her quote unquote I look back and I say to myself, you know what, 20 years ago, she might have been called a lot more harsher names than she was this time around, because I think people are finally starting to come around on mental health, for lack of a better phrase. When you look at an athlete in that moment, in that situation, and I'm not sure how privy you are to that particular story, but what would it mean to you as a doctor watching somebody pull out of the biggest moment of their life because they just won't, weren't mentally healthy or ready? I can tell, I can share with you my, my feelings about it right this moment. And I sure. feel empowered. Agreed. I feel excited to know that an athlete is courageous to say out loud, my health matters to me. My health matters over my performance. If I'm going to be successful, I have to get this piece right. It's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to, to say those, those words. The reason I brought up the fact that in 2021 is accepted is there has been an evolution. You've been at this for a while now. You've watched this evolve over the last 15, 20 years where it used to be the stigma. I mean, I've been around sports for a long time where it used to be bravado and playing through it and all those things that athletes were just expected to do because that's what you do. You got to bruise, rub it, it'll be tomorrow's problem. What do you think was the turning point? Well, I, I mean, I have to say that I, I do believe adversity is okay. Facing adversity is what builds our resilience, our psychological well-being, and that can be a real protective mechanism for our mental health. Shying away from adversity isn't something I would promote and, and have not shied away from. We need challenge in our lives, but we also need to have support. We also need to have, be doing these really, really difficult things that challenge us as individuals, as people, as performers in supportive environments. And so I think that's the part of the game that seems to be elevating and, and changing. And, and we're having some really important social conversations about what it means to support an athlete and to support sports people in general. And mental health is one of those pieces of the conversation as is say sport, as is the language that we use to describe things. So it's been a real evolution, as you have said, over the, the course of my career. And we're understanding that human performance is very complex and very individual. Appreciating that one's journey is not gonna look the same as another's journey, but that they have autonomy in, in being able to say what is right for that individual. I would say looking around and seeing organizations like the Canadian Sport Institute, places that you're comfortable with and represent and work with have been huge for athletes in a number of different facets. I mean, we always think of athletes or some people think of athletes as these millionaires, as these people that have it all set up and life's the easy road for them. But Olympians, that's another facet of their mental challenge is the fact that they've got to live their life and they've got to find sponsorship and they've got to do this on their own. I mean, it is a, it, it's basically as an Olympian, a small business, is it not? Oh, for sure it is. Yes. <laughs> it's a full-time job. Has there been a, a particular instance where you've seen an athlete and you just say, you know what, if I could ever use, you know, he or she as an example, that's a person that's overcome adversity and everything that I've studied, that person encapsules success. I, I'm actually not comfortable discussing any one that I've particularly worked with, um, but I, I am comfortable in saying that there are many, many athletes who have experienced adversity. 
in fact, I don't know one that hasn't. Um, whether it's managing being a student and an athlete at the same time, whether it's having finances, whether it's having to move across the country from loved ones so that they can train in the centralized environment that is high performance sport. I know one of the key things that I was concerned about and brought in in terms of programming with the Canadian Sport Institute Pacific is that we help athletes adjust to the lifestyle of being a professional athlete who has entered into the high performance pathway. So what that means is once, you know, once you become a high performance athlete or you commit to that and you have services like Canadian Sport Institute Pacific put around you, all of a sudden your, your time is taken from you because you're gonna have a meeting with a dietitian or a nutritionist. You're gonna have a meeting with a mental performance consultant. The physiologist is gonna be testing you. You're gonna have strength and conditioning sessions. You're gonna meet with a, an advisor who will help you with your finances and, and set you up with your websites and make sure your brand and your, you can speak to media. Um, there's just so many different components and it's more than just doing your sport all of a sudden, it's, it's managing all of these other aspects. And you know, a young 15, 16, 17 year old coming into the program, it's quite overwhelming and just kind of like, what do you mean I have to do all this work? And it's, it's, uh, it takes a little bit of time to adjust and transition um, with all of these various aspects of sports science and sports medicine that's available to them. I really respect the fact that, you know, after me asking you that question, you said, you know what, because that shows the trust that the athletes have both in you as an individual and as your organization, which I think is invaluable. Becoming my best self, what does that mean to you? Becoming the best self means that I know who I am. I aspire to be that person in all areas that I can be that person. I don't succumb to the pressures or I don't doubt that who I am and what I can do is enough. Do you find that kids in this day and age understand that message? I have two children, an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old. One just graduated from high school, one is going into her final year. And I often question myself if I'm giving them the right message as a parent. I've also been told a number of times that they already know as I tell them the lesson. They're like, yeah, I got that. And I say, where'd you get that? They're like, oh, I learned it in class. But do you <laughs> feel that this generation of kid coming up, perhaps the proverbial teenager, understands what it takes to become their best self? There's some interesting research on this generation that's coming up. And, and what's really unique about this generation is that they're the first generation that have access to these mobile devices. In our hands, quite literally, is the world. And there's lots of vision and a lot of images that show us what it means to show up in this world. And being critical thinkers around what images are factual and those that are a bit false takes some time to do, to learn how to do that. And so I think that there is a lot of misunderstanding. It's not their fault and it's it won't be their fault. It's just, it's part of the process of learning about the patience and the time. Uh, again, because the world is at their fingertips, patience and understanding time is something that they really do struggle with. The other thing that we're also learning um, for this generation is that attentional focus looks different. Yes. Their brains are being wired differently than let's say your eyes brains 
because of the way that we're exposed to stimuli. You know, back in our day when things were much slower and we didn't have access to these types of devices, we could attend to things. Now we find that our, our youth are really, their attention is divided. And because of that divided attention, they can't fully access all the information they need to really sort of pursue excellence in the same capacity that we did. It doesn't mean that they won't pursue excellence or that they can't do it. It's just their skills are gonna just be at a different place. So from a mental perspective, those are some of the big challenges uh, with this generation that I, I'm coming to understand. It used to be, and I hate to use the old adage used to be, but it was one <laughs> of those things where your retention seemed to be longer. I feel like almost after talking bullet points or tweets or Instagram posts to try and condense everything into 280 characters. But Charlene, when you look at an athlete right now, and they're looking at the world as it begins to unfold on them. I know we talk about Olympians, we talk about people at the apex, the top. And then we look at these kids that are graduating high school and they didn't get an opportunity to receive a scholarship because they didn't play in grade 11 or in grade 12. There's a mental challenge right there where all of a sudden that trajectory or the path has changed on them. What mental advice could you give to uh, almost like a two year window now of athletes that have had their life turned upside down? That was a really tough year, <laughs> really, really tough for the, that cohort. I don't actually know how it's all gonna unfold. I, I don't know how it's going to, I only can imagine based on history that some people are gonna rise to the top with that kind of adversity and some people are not gonna realize the trajectory that they were currently on. It's kind of the way when disruption happens. And, and I think we're seeing some of that unfold actually at the games, to be honest, in terms yeah. of upset performances and people rising to the top who wouldn't have given, been given that opportunity had things not been disrupted the way that they were. So, you know, for these kids, it's, it really has to be about living their best life and sport will be a part of that. And when I say that, it's not done lightly. It's, it's around understanding yourself as more than just a athlete, um, that you contribute to your communities in such different ways from the way that you hang out with your friends and the appreciation that it will be to be around others or to learn in an actual school, not online on a computer. <laughs> and, um, and the benefits of that, is in addition to getting to practice your sport at a high level, grade 11 to grade 12, you're 16, 17, 18, 19. And a lot of sports, our elite athletes who are at the games are much older than that. Yeah. So my hope is that these athletes don't lose trust, that they can't make up the time by dedicating themselves to their sport. And in fact, they've probably let their body grow and develop and they can maximize those physical attributes through the way that they believe performance is possible. I knew this was going to live up to the hype. Uh, I was so uh, looking forward to talking with you more than just the fact you're a mental performance consultant, but just your experience and your opportunity to see these storylines. You've worked with people at a number of different Olympic games, whether they were here in Vancouver, Sochi, wherever um, your experience and your expertise is second to none. Doctor, thank you for making time for me today. Thank you so much. There she is. 
Great conversation with Dr. Charlene Orr. My thanks to her and my thanks to everybody at Equity Guru for setting up that conversation. All right, let's wrap up this show. Don't forget, we're going to be back tomorrow. Tomorrow is Throwback Thursday. So we'll try to find one of those things that kind of takes you back to the time machine. And, you know, I had an idea, and I'd love to get your feedback on this. I was thinking of doing a game where I would recreate a game, a baseball game. And what I would like to do is find any teams from any era. So maybe it'll be the 27 Yankees against the 93 Blue Jays. And what I was going to do is open it up to you. What two teams would you like to see go head to head? And then I would do three innings of one of those games and just make it up with all the bells and whistles that goes into the recreation of a baseball game. I think it'd be kind of fun. All right, my thanks to everybody at Equity Guru. First and foremost, my thanks to Jay Swing, my brother from another mother. Thank you for always being so good with the production of the show. My thanks to Chris Perry, the guy that runs Equity Guru. Thank you for the opportunity. And to everybody behind the scenes, JP Chung, Jim Galen, and the irreplaceable Priscilla Choi. Until you and I do this again tomorrow, less than 24 hours from now, I'm Rob Fay. Follow me on Twitter at Rob Fay, R-O-B-F is in Frank A-I. Let's keep communicating that way, and I will see you in less than a day's time. Have a great day, everybody. I will see you tomorrow. Sports Bar Radio was brought to you by Equity Guru, investment information for the new generation. Visit us at equity.guru and let's make some money together. Please note, any mention of companies on this podcast is part of a promotional campaign, and the information you hear should be a part of extensive due diligence. As well, always get advice from an accredited financial advisor before you make any investment decision. Protect yourself.